0: Hello, Ben Beeves and welcome to the Career Lift Podcast, where we bring you impactful guests, industry professionals, messages, and advice on how you can begin to create the career of your dreams and succeed in your path. Tune in weekly on Mondays and give your career a lift. Welcome to this episode of the career lift podcast today i'm joined by madeline vogeli an entrepreneur creative mind business owner and my sister madeline is the founder of an art and apparel company called alaskan floats alaskan floats is art and apparel for the adventurous she also owns a local artist gallery and boutique called strictly local gallery which is located on the island of prince of wales in southeast alaska Madeline first found herself in Alaska in 2014 for a summer job, and the rest is history. Madeline has always been one of my personal entrepreneurial inspirations, so stay tuned for more of Madeline's journey. Hi, Madeline, and thank oh, you for hi, being thanks here. thank
1: you for having me. Uh, thank you so much for having me, actually. What a warm welcome. I'm very excited.
0: Yeah. Me too. Yeah, Madeline has always been a little bit of my inspiration for my own entrepreneurial journeys, so... I'm excited to have you, and I know I I know your your story a little bit, but I don't think I, you know, I have never heard it really that in depth, you know, and from your perspective. So, um, so I'm excited to learn more about your story too.
1: Yeah, I'm really excited to uh, get into that a little bit with you. It's it's super fun to, um, I don't know, be your big sister and to know that uh, I've maybe helped shine a light along the way a little bit. <laughs> as dorky as that sounds, so yeah, it's an honor to be here. I'm really excited. To- talk with you about.
0: Yeah. To get started, could you tell me a little bit, me and our listeners, a little bit about Alaskan Floats and what led you to start the brand? And also, actually, if you would like to start with how you kind of ended up in Alaska, if that's like the more natural way to tell it, then however you want to tell the story is perfect.
1: Yeah. Get ready for me to throw a lot at you. (laughs) Uh, I guess. I'll, I'll consolidate the story a little bit, but, um, so I, I was living in Colorado. I was there for about 10 years. That's where I graduated from college and, um, worked for a couple of years after college and just, um, knew I wanted a change. So this is the very consolidated <laughs> part of it, but, um, I moved to Alaska for a summer job basically. And, um, I thought I was only going to be here for one summer and then I was going to, um, moved down to California for grad school. But, um, yeah, I just wound up really loving, uh, loving the lifestyle up here, uh, met my special somebody and, um, we kind of settled down here. And, um, so that's the really short version (laughs) when I tell this story, like over a a drink or a glass of wine, it's like 30 minutes long. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of how, but, um, yeah, so I wound up, um, deciding at the time to postpone grad school. And, um, my partner and I kind of settled down some roots up here. So, um, I wound up, uh, buying a business, which was totally weird. And I never thought would wind up happening. And that was kind of the start of my entrepreneurial journey. Um, after a couple of years, um, I decided to, uh, start Alaskan Floats. So that was just some of the backstory about how I wound up in Alaska. So yeah, Alaskan Floats, I founded it. Um, well, I officially launched it in in 2018. And it's an art and apparel brand um, geared towards the adventure seeker. Um, and so I, I sell directly to consumers, um, but I also am predominantly a wholesale brand. So um, I have buyers around the state of Alaska currently I'm just in Alaska who buy the products um and yeah it's really geared towards anyone who has an adventurous spirit or is maybe seeking um seeking in their life and that's kind of our whole mission what it is is like I said art and apparel so I take my art I'm an artist and I put it on apparel tourist wares stickers mugs cards all sorts of fun stuff and so that's that's the long and the short of Alaskan floats
0: Awesome. What was the business that you bought first before Alaskan Floats? And what kind of led you to wanting to buy that business? Because that's a, that's a pretty big yeah, step. just
1: to kind of expand on that very consolidated story about how I wound up in Alaska, I came up that first summer for a summer job, left, came back for a second summer intending to work again. And that second summer, um, I was working for the same company that I had been working for. It was a fish plant, actually. So Um, I was working in parts and inventory doing purchasing and stuff. And, um, I worked with this guy, Aaron McCulloch. Um, it was just the two of us. And I knew that if I was hanging around in Craig, Alaska, again, I really wanted to immerse myself more in the community. And so my first summer, I kind of just walked into this tiny, tiny little art gallery, like shoebox, And, um... So basically, I called the owner and um, was like, hey, I'm coming back to town, and I'd really like to um, maybe sell some of my photography or some of my artwork. I'd never sold my work. I was terrified. I mean, I had no idea how to go about getting your things into a gallery and whatnot. And um, yeah, she basically said to me um yeah so i started this gallery two years ago it's great it's a viable business i just am kind of over it and i'm gonna shut the doors unless i can sell it and this was about a month before i came up for that second summer and um i basically said you don't know me like i'm a good person please don't close your business like let me give it a shot like i will run your business if you're open to it and so when i came up a month later um she basically handed me the keys and was like, do whatever you want with it. I'm kind of over this. And it, it was like, I, when does that happen? And so um, since I was already working for the company I was working for, and I kind of wanted to take on this business, Strictly Local, uh, at the time it was called Strictly Local Selection Gift Boutique and Gallery, kind of a mouthful. Um, I uh, I kind of approached Aaron, who was my my other at the company I was working for and he in another life had been this entrepreneurial genius himself and so basically we spent the whole summer kind of um you know with him encouraging me to pursue this business and um i really had his support and um by the end of the summer i decided i wanted to go for it and i made um an offer on it and she accepted and i bought the business and so strictly local Really is my first business up here in alaska it's and it's still a brick and mortar gift boutique gallery retail location. We've expanded a few times, but yeah, we sell local artwork um handmade wares. I stick to the island I'm on as much as possible, but I do expand to elsewhere in alaska to to welcome in um, small business artists but it's really um it's really a priority of mine to give small businesses and artisans the opportunity to sell their work and so it's really cool when I started there were just maybe a handful that I worked with and now we work with anywhere from 50 to 100 at any given time um that's awesome it's really it's great so
0: yeah oh that's so that's really cool and are are most of your artists on the island or I don't know if you mentioned that you live on an island but I think that's a, that's a cool Your fact. Listeners,
1: yeah. They, they might find that interesting little trivia for you. Yeah. I live on Prince of Wales Island um, and it's in Southeast Alaska. So if you're looking at Alaska, it's like the panhandle and it's the third biggest island in the United States. So it's huge. It's a very, very large island, but there are only maybe four or 5,000 people living around the entire island. Like it's very remote. It's very rural. The town i'm in um, is actually only about 1200 people and uh so yeah that's that's where i am and um to answer your question i do represent local artists and that's really um a woman who'd started the business before me that was her vision and she was really only working with local prince of wales artists and um i still do i, mean, I still work with a large number but um, I have expanded to welcome in a lot of other artists from the state and honestly and a few um, friends and family members of mine from outside of Alaska too one thing I've really wanted to work on or one direction I've really wanted to work on expanding into with Strictly Local is um, just really giving a platform to a lot of artists who don't even know where to start um, giving people that chance to work out there so I'm not opposed to expanding out. out of
0: yeah, that's awesome. So could you talk just a little bit about how you've kind of expanded into it being like a community space, I guess, and um, yeah, just into what it is now?
1: Yeah. I think that's Definitely. really awesome. Thank you for asking about that. Mm-hmm. I kind of chopped that off, the explanation of Strictly Local, because it gets really lengthy. But thanks mm-hmm. for asking. Yeah, the studio yeah. is my very favorite parts of Strictly Local. Yeah. Um, Strictly Local, like I said, started as this tiny little shoebox of of a storefront. And um, uh, two years after I bought it, so in 2017, we expanded into a space maybe, I don't know, maybe five to eight times the size of the, the space I started in. Um, a year ago, I'm in like a little plaza in town, like a little strip mall. And so a year ago, um, the space next to me opened up and I'd been waiting to get that space for like two years. I'd been like telling the landlord, I whenever that space opens, like, let me know. I'm ready for it. I need it. And so when it opened, um, they let me know and I took it. And so we um renovated it and busted a door between the two units, and it is now um an attached studio. And so one part of strictly local um, has been yoga classes and paint nights. So I've, I've had a studio the past couple of years, but it used to be kind of in the store space. Now we have an entirely separate unit, um, where we have regular yoga classes and I have a couple of yoga teachers on staff. Um, and I myself teach yoga too. And then I do regular paint nights, um, kind of like uh canvas and cocktail wine and wine and I can't think of any other ones, but you know what I mean. Um, and so I do those paint nights, scheduled paint nights, um, usually weekly, and um, we have other art workshops. And I'm really working on um, developing it into like a community art space where people can come and work on their projects. Or um, yeah, I've just worked worked really hard to create this very zen community space where people can create beautiful things and have nice conversations and feel uplifted and just feel really positive. So, Yeah.
0: Awesome. Yeah. I love that. I, um, I, I just think it's kind of cool how, I mean, just how strictly local fits into the community you're in. We'll get to the last few but I'm, I think this is good. This is pertinent too. It's just that, it's kind of, it's really cool because there's like nothing really, I mean, it's such a small town. There's nothing really like strictly local. I mean, there's a couple other, you know, places that do like gifts and stuff, but made in China gifts and stuff. And, and just, there's, there's not really too many other spaces like community spaces, like what you have, would you say that's true? And, and then, and like, what uh, do you think that the small town has given you kind of a unique opportunity or like, how has that affected how strictly locals grown? And then, Um, yeah, I don't know how you've grown in the community. Yeah,
1: I would say to some degree, Strictly Local is unique and does offer a very unique space and experience in our town. Um, I think when I started it in 2015, it was very much unique and one of a kind and nobody was really doing anything like this in this town. It was a very, I don't want to say sleepy town, but like when I Googled it before I came here, You literally would have no idea where you were going. You saw maybe like three photos on Google of like the harbor, maybe some like really old map. Maybe you saw like one website for a lodge, a couple Yelp businesses that were closed down. Like you really had no idea what you were getting into. Um, So when I started this, it really, um, yeah, there really wasn't like, I want to say like hip trendy things going on here. Um, But that's all really changed over the past uh, like six years or so. Um, I think a lot of uh, people in my age range, um, I'm in my 30s, (laughs) Um, but a lot of people in my age range who grew up here maybe left for college and came back and people started doing some really cool things. And um, the town has really developed and there's a lot of fun stuff here now. Um, And it was just, it's changed a lot. But I I do still think strictly local's unique, and we offer just an experience that's pretty pretty special and unique to strictly local. So, um, and then the second part of your question, um, about living in a small town and maybe having uh some different opportunities, that is something I am very transparent about to anyone who wants to talk about it, like. When I lived in a big city, I don't know that I would have had the confidence to pursue um, something I wanted to pursue because there's so many people doing so many things. I think I was a little more insecure about what I was capable of going after. And I think living in a small town, you really realize how much value each individual brings to the community and how your ideas can really make an impact. And you can see that happen. You know, it's not like in a, in a bigger place where maybe you feel like you're one fish in the sea. So I know living in a small place, I've kind of had the freedom to test out all these ideas and have an amazing community of people supporting my ideas. And um, I think that's been a really incredible opportunity that um, I'm really grateful for.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I think I think also it's important to note that I think, or at least in my perspective, I feel like that's kind of Alaskan culture as well. In Alaska, like I feel like everybody—I don't feel like I know that everybody kind of the culture is very much. Everybody does a bunch of things. Everybody is encouraged to make things and build things and do things themselves, and it's it's very different from down south it's just like a different mentality of maybe it starts from the hunting and fishing culture but it's just a lot more it's not like primitive i don't know I even know how to explain it but like maybe kind of yeah
1: i know exactly what you mean and i honestly think that's one of my very favorite parts of living here is that there is this culture of just do it yourself like if you want something to get done you have to do it yourself and i think a large part of that does stem from the fact that alaska is a rural place like yeah amazon ships here which is great um well maybe amazon's not great (laughs) um you know we can get things here it's fine but sometimes you have to wait a long time or maybe if i order something whereas down south that's what we call the lower 48 down south um maybe you have to uh maybe you'll wait like two days for something up here. You might wait five weeks. Mm -hmm. Um, so you really kind of learn to make do, you really learn patience and you really Mm -hmm. learn how to be, um, creative with your time and with your efforts. And, um, with, uh, strictly local, um, it's cool. Like I said, I work with so many small businesses. I actually work with a ton of, um, female owned small businesses, which is super exciting. And I work a ton of women I've never met in person, but we've like connected through social media and they have incredible products. And we have these great Mm -hmm. friendships now because we do business together, but it's like people are so creative. And yeah, I think to some degree, it might stem on a psychological level from hunting and fishing and like being Mm -hmm. completely self-reliant. It's Mm -hmm. like, you have to really create the life you want here because there Mm -hmm. aren't a lot of options. So we have this benefit of just being like, what do I want to do? I'm going to do it. And um, yep. I've met so many people with that same outlook up here. It's really cool. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I, re- I do want to get back to that actually in terms of Alaskan floats when we learn a little bit more about Alaskan floats. On that note, I do want, I want to mention that reminds me of the, just like as a prime example is I don't know their names. You probably do though that we met these two girls at a trade show like two years ago or last year who started their own uh-huh. skincare line. I think it's a lot AK Botanicals and they were what, uh-huh. like 15, 14 and 15 at the time. And they like make all of these skincare products. Maybe you can touch to it better than me, but I was like, I wasn't shocked because it's Alaska, but it's crazy how independent and like do for your, yeah, just independent um, younger kids are be, and they're Just encouraged. like these are these girls starting a business in Alaska and they don't even live on the island. They live somewhere else and they, you know, yeah, you sell their products.
1: I do. And actually, yes. So to tell you a little bit about them, um, it's called AK Botanics actually. And we met the two girls. It was actually just the one girl who started okay. it, which I learned later. Her name's Jason and she was like 16 or 17. And okay. um, yeah, she started this skincare line. She, I don't know if she got her degree online or something, but she has like a degree from the New York, uh, like aromatherapy institute or something like, yeah, I mean, just a cool, cool kid, high school kid. And she has this whole line of products that she's like heavily researched and has like actual education on anti-aging properties and this and that. So I carry a couple of her products at the shop. And um, yeah, I mean, just to give you an example of how multifaceted Alaskans are, like, she has this product line. She's an incredible businesswoman. She's responsive. When I message her, place orders, her, you know, her customer service is amazing. Like if things ever arrive damaged, she replaces them. Like she's a really incredible businesswoman. But then she also goes out commercial fishing with her dad. So she'll be like on a fishing boat making, you know, creating a lot. Of money and she's in high school. And it's like people here are really amazing. <laughs>
0: It doesn't surprise me though. I think it's, that's just Alaska. Awesome. Okay. Well, with that, let's segue a little more into learning a little bit about Alaskan floats. Okay. So maybe we'll just go with timeline. So you started strictly Local and then it was a couple of years later that you started Alaskan floats. Um, mm-hmm. Had you, yeah. Had you had the, the idea for Alaskan floats for a while? Um, and then, yeah, I guess if you could just walk through kind of how you were just like decided to start Alaskan Floods.
1: Yeah. So, um, like I said, I bought strictly local, uh, different name at the time, but I bought it in 2015 okay. and really invested a lot of, well, not a lot, like literally all my time and energy into developing that for the first couple of years. And mm-hmm. after the first couple of years, I realized that I wanted, um, to, start working on a career path or start working on a business that wasn't um that didn't tie me to a physical location having a storefront was was and is really amazing but um Mm -hmm. i knew that that's not what i wanted forever i wanted to start setting up a business that i knew would be viable and i could take on the road and i could work wherever um Mm -hmm. ultimately the goal with the with the gift shop is to um Either uh, manage it remotely full time, or to to sell it at some point. And I knew that was the goal um, early on. And so my partner's career um, uh, is pretty unpredictable, and he travels a lot, and he comes and goes a lot. And I just knew that in the long term, I wanted um, I wanted to set myself up with a career where I could. Follow him, or I could move and still have that career, and I wouldn't have to start over wherever I went. So, um, I started considering how to do that, and um, yeah, Alaskan floats started floating around in my head, no pun intended, <laughs> um, in 2017. And I had a couple products that I tested at Strictly Local and spent about a year doing market research that way, you know, what was going to sell. And then in 2018, I launched it um, to the public um, for wholesale. And so, uh, yeah, that first year I picked up maybe um, 20 buyers or so. And um, that was two, almost three seasons ago. And yeah, I just continue to grow and continue to to do that. And so going back to what my original goal was, is um, that I really just wanted something I could take on the road. And so that's really what I've designed with Alaska Floats. I can do my designs anywhere. I can drop ship anywhere. I can do my business on the computer. So,
0: yeah. Oh, that's awesome. What? So what were, what were like a couple of your first
1: products? Um, my very first product was the Alaskan Floats necklace, actually. So um, in Southeast Alaska, one of the most special, iconic um, parts of being here really are these little glass floats these little glass floats um, that wash up on the beaches. And <laughs> basically what they are is it's a, a fishing float used in Japanese fishing. I don't know if they use glass floats anymore, but um, back when this major tsunami happened in 2009, um, they started washing up on the beaches and in, in Southeast Alaska in droves, like in by the thousands. And so when you found one, it was like the super exciting thing. So the floats necklace was really kind of, um, representative of that. And it's just a dainty little necklace that sits on a wire. Um, and that's really how it started. And that remains one of our biggest products. Um, I have maybe like 20 styles right now on the mm-hmm. website. Um, they sell really well. And then, um, awesome. stickers, mugs, uh, cards, things like that. And, um, but the ultimate focus, the focus always was apparel, but it took me about mm-hmm. a year or two to really, um, solidify all of the all of the ins and outs of that and get that on the market so I didn't really start yeah. with apparel but that was always the goal
0: yeah okay those ne- those necklaces were really are really still you know of so my favorite items that you have too and I know that this was kind of an it is kind of what you intended but just I loved them because I could wear them on the dock cutting fish all day and have jewelry on mm-hmm. and it wouldn't you know it wouldn't get in the way and so I would still be girly but I'd be like covered in fish guts and and stuff. Yeah. yeah. And so they were great. So they were great, but, and I know you had some other, you know, you had a bunch of other women who, who, um, likes them as well. saying
1: that sis. I actually, yeah, I totally forgot to say that, but yeah, the whole reason I started these necklaces, uh, back in 2017 or whatever is because Alaska women are always on the go, like always. <laughs> and jewelry, you <laughs> don't want your jewelry to get in the way. You don't want to get snagged on like a fish hook or, you know, on whatever you're doing. And so really, um they do sit really close to your collarbone and the whole point was that you can have something pretty on but not you know not have it be in the way <laughs> so yeah they yeah. they sell really well i mean people wear them running people wear them running marathons or hiking mountains or hunting deer or whatever they're doing up here or anywhere yeah
0: really. <laughs> yep <laughs> yep they're awesome yep. and then i feel like maybe i should add this in the intro but i i keep talking about it so i should probably mention that i also work in Alaska during the summer and first came up in 2017 to work for Madeline at Strictly Local um, and then you fell in right. love with the place and started working.
1: Place.
0: Yeah. Woohoo. Yeah. It was awesome. Um, so it was really fun to get to know a Strictly Local and just get to know the town. And then yeah, the next summer I came up to work at a fishing lodge um, and I started cutting fish, which I still do and have done for three summers now. Um, now trying to become a fishing guide, pretty excited about that. Um, but yeah, so i mean, anyway, just because I, I keep commenting on my experience there as well, that's why, because I spend every summer there. So and I get to see Madeline pretty much, pretty much every day. I'll just like in between cutting fish and I don't know, doing whatever I do. It's really about that. I'll, I'll stop by the shop or something. It's awesome. So, okay. So you did eventually get into apparel and, um, yeah. So once, so you got into, so how, how did you begin the process of doing apparel and how did you like learn about how to do all of that? I, you may have known already from other places, but how did you go about that And the, and then how did you maybe go about, um, making those relationships with the stores you got into?
1: Sure. Um, well, these are good questions, You know, I've never sat down to do anything like this. So you're bringing up a lot of like fun memories for me. Um, Let me tell you something about getting into the apparel business when you don't know what the heck you're doing. Uh, The learning curve is huge. (laughs) I, in my head was like, when I started Alaskan Floats was like, okay, I'm just going to pull this business together and we'll hit the ground running. Mm -hmm. Well, no, that's not really. (laughs) So um, to be fully transparent, currently, all I do is screen screen print apparel. Um, and you know, my biggest issue was finding a printer I wanted to work with who could print the quantities, the quality, the designs I needed, um, for the price I needed. And, and it, it, I just had to learn so much about, um, fabric contents, you know, different types of garments, the way things hang, what type of printing can be printed on what, type of fabric on you know what percentage of this fabric what percentage of that fabric like I'm not kidding you when I tell you the learning curve like made my head want to explode um but on the plus side I now have the, I now have that knowledge um and so I shouldn't say that um we do exclusively screen printing we actually do DTG too it just depends on the design and so yeah just I really have a a lot of learning to do, a lot of conversations with my sales rep, with the printer I use and um, and whatnot. So I can't remember if that was a two-part question, but that's my answer to, to learning about all that.
0: Yeah, no, it was actually, but I do want to ask a question onto that. If you'd like to share, was there any big mishaps or anything in printing or anything like that, that kind yes. of like that no taught you things. something? <laughs>
1: So many things. I mean, this whole process has just been trial and error. You know, like when I really, uh, you know, total transparency, I don't have a background in business. I don't have a formal education in business. I don't have a formal education in apparel, anything. It's like this entire thing has been learning as I go, um, which has been fun. But um, some of the major mishaps, I should say, are um, in the beginning when I didn't know much about fab- fabric content and what type of printing can print on what fabric contents, I would just design something. I would paint something or draw something and think this is what's going on my next hoodie. And it'd be super exciting and this is what I really want. But then when it came down to it, the actual design would be incompatible with the actual piece of apparel I wanted it printed on, if that makes sense. Like, mm-hmm. more complex yeah. design. Um like here's one example. Um, I'm, I'm a painter. So some of, some of my apparel designs are my paintings printed on things. And some of them are just simple line drawings that are screen printed on things. And um, complex paintings can only be printed DTG on top of things, but only certain fabric contents can be printed DTG on. So yeah, some of my biggest mishaps in the beginning were learning that I can't just take something in my head and turn it into what I want. Mm-hmm. Um, I need, I needed to kind yeah. of work within the rules. So, over the years, I've learned to design things with the quality of the garment in mind, keeping in mind how mm-hmm. something needs to be put on it. Whereas in the beginning, I didn't yeah. do that. And a lot of my ideas had to be modified or they went right out the window. And that was really sad. <laughs> so.
0: I feel it. It sounds like that's something that you wouldn't have known and you just had to you just had to make them, you know, do that. And then you yeah, learned. There
1: were so <laughs> many. Pivots and there Still are. Yeah, that was a really good question. Thanks, sis.
0: Yeah, that's always very interesting to me. I think the I think like the most. It's always, I think, really inspiring to hear stories of entrepreneurship and like how people kind of struggled and then like overcame it to like keep creating because there's never not problems or there's never not hurdles or like there's always things you have to learn from and you know even if you do even if you do have a business degree or whatever you know apparel you probably still wouldn't have known a lot of things and I'm gonna ask um what your background is
1: um degree my undergraduate degree is in cultural anthropology with a minor in nutrition And so uh, I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life or with those degrees, but I thought they were really interesting and got them. Um, So it has kind of come full circle with the cultural anthropology degree, working in um, like an art gallery setting and representing a lot of Alaska Native artwork. Um, But yeah, I really have no background in business, which um, you didn't ask this, but I'm going to go on a tangent for a second. That that really... (laughs) I feel like <laughs> has been One of the biggest um, uh, assets or benefits I've had um, assisting me throughout this whole process is I really um, came into this business ownership, business development situation with no preconceived notions of how it was supposed to be, um, what it needed to be like. I didn't have any mm-hmm. format for what yeah. I thought I needed to do. And I've been able to just fully have my own ideas and make them happen. Um, I think that's been a really big perk. Yeah. I'm really grateful. Oh, I lo- yeah, I love I mean, that. there are times where I'm like, oh, it might help to like have a more concise knowledge about certain systems or certain things. But if I'm being fully honest, I've never run into trouble with not having a formal business education. Um, I've just been able to take my ideas and and mm-hmm. make them work the way my brain wants to. So that's been kind of cool, I guess.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I really love that. I was actually thinking about something like that the other day um, where I was thinking about just, I mean, I I've been listening to a lot of podcasts about entrepreneurs and reading books and stuff. And I, most of them do not have a business degree. And um, I'm studying business because I changed my major so many times. And I was like, I want to start my own business and I want to be flexible. So I'll, I'll do that. But I think to an extent, like in my own business, I, I'm the only person that holds me back. But I think to an extent, sometimes what has held me back is thinking that I have to do it a certain way. And like, um, I'm so, so grateful for all of my mentors and all the people that have helped me along. But sometimes there is like, and in school, it's like, there is this prescripted way to do things and it's not always the way to do it. And I think in like, most of the time, it isn't the way to do it. Like you think of, I don't know, you just hear all these stories of entrepreneurs who made things work, you know, whether that be in like, funding or creating their ideas and they did it, they had no idea how to do it. And they just were like, this is what makes sense to me. And I'm going to do it this way. I'm going to go whatever, instead of being like, oh, I should do this. Like I've been so, I've been so stuck personally for like a year on the idea of like starting a Kickstarter campaign, but I'm like, I just don't think that's my first step and that's not the way to go. And it's, and I, there are just a lot of things, but I mean, anyway, not to go on off on a total tangent, but I think to an extent, like just like you said, maybe not having that idea of how it should work is, is really the best because there's no formula.
1: Yeah. And I really think that that's, um, so
0: that's cool to yeah. hear.
1: And I just, to just to encourage you and validate you a little bit, sis, I think it's, uh, I mean, when you have an idea, like it's your idea, it's up to nobody else to figure out how you put that into the world, how you mm-hmm. offer it to people, how you, you know, show up with your idea. Um, And so, yeah, you can take whatever formal education you have and draw what you need from it. But, yeah, just always remember that there is no right or wrong. Like, we're all creative beings with something to offer. And just because somebody else Mm -hmm. has a way to offer it or a way to structure it and put it in a textbook doesn't mean it's necessarily the way it needs to be. That's my two cents on that. Yeah.
0: Definitely. I love that. And, okay so this might this might go pretty long but that's okay I do just want to make another comment just because i I like I love hearing this when I listen to podcasts about like entrepreneurship and stuff but like um personally like a couple of the things that like for an example that I think I was told to that were the right thing to do was probably not the right thing to do like I I started my business and then I thought it was the right like right away I was like started an LLC and applied for a trademark however like, I haven't I started an LLC last year and that like my yearly dues are up for it and I haven't made any revenue. I haven't done anything in business for it, you know. Then I don't even have a business account, so there's no need to start my LLC yet. And then um, and then I applied for a trademark and I learned I mean, I mean this is actually just another thing though that I learned, so it's not a bad thing. I applied for a trademark and realized that really, in order to have a trademark, you need to have something whatever your, your, your name that you're trademarking is associated with has to be in um, commerce or you have to, you have to apply for like an intent to, intent to use, which I'm not, a, definitely not an expert on this, but like, it's something like an intent to use. So you have to prove that you're going to, yeah. that your product's going to be on the market soon. And I'm like, just right now, I'm just working with a designer. And so I applied for this trademark, but um, I had I had, I don't know, I had, there were some issues with it and basically it expired because I didn't like, I didn't prove that I was going to use it because I'm not going to use it for a long time. So anyway, those are just a couple of things where I was like, I'm getting ahead of myself and instead I should, I should, I just need to focus on the product and getting that out instead of being like, Mm -hmm. being like, I need to start a business right now and, and just focus more on like, oh, this is the product I'm trying to create. This is why I'm passionate about it and just get it out there and then you I know think, you can figure all that stuff later that. I so think that's a perfect anyway.
1: example of how um things don't necessarily have to go a certain way and sometimes when we get caught up thinking like it needs to be a certain way like there are these steps and this is the way you do it and then after you do all those steps you're like actually that didn't resonate with me it didn't feel organic i'm actually it's not like anything has happened because i did things the way i was supposed to do them and mm-hmm. i think that yeah that's like you said not good or bad it was a learning experience and like you learned that maybe had you not had all of these like shoulds in your head maybe you would have done it differently and now you can you know I I Mm -hmm. think about that constantly you know I've been um self-employed running my own businesses for almost six years now and gosh I don't have everything figured out you just like figure you know you realize something didn't work and then you change directions I call it a reverse plan, and then you do something else. Keep going, you know. Yep.
0: Okay, so so let's go back. How did you start building those relationships with uh, like the stores you're in now, and with people who um, would buy would buy your products? So also, I mean, and maybe if you could touch on Mm -hmm. um, like wholesale stuff as well.
1: Yeah, Um, And just how you began to do that question from earlier that I totally forgot. Um, yeah. How did I start building these relationships? Mm -hmm. So (laughs) the very first thing I did when I decided to launch it, um, was go to the biggest wholesale trade show in the state of Alaska. So that's where, I mean, buyers from all over the state, even some buyers from the Pacific Northwest come and find their wholesale products. It's a wholesale trade show. Um, so it's only open to buyers and to people with, um, businesses or stores and things like that. Um, not open to the public. And so, um, yeah, from that first show, I really, uh, solidified some contacts, um, that I still work with today. Um, and then, yeah, so I've done that the past few years. Um, and that's, that's the only trade show, actually, I've really gone to in the state of Alaska. Um, I had intentions of starting to expand to the Pacific Northwest in 2020, but we all know how that went. So um, yeah, I I was looking at 2021, but things are looking the same. (laughs) So um, one thing I have done and has actually been very uh, successful for me is just good old-fashioned cold calling. I mean, I'll send my materials out to um, local stores and Say hey, if you're interested in samples, let me know. Um, if you're interested in scheduling a phone meeting, let me know. Um, but yeah, here I am. I'm a small business. This is what I do. I'm passionate about it, and here to answer questions. And I've actually gained um, a pretty decent number of buyers that way. And so um, I think also I have the added benefit of being on both sides of the fence, retail and wholesale. So having strictly and working with um, wholesalers and vendors for so many years before I launched Alaskan Floats really showed me um, or really helped me to determine what I need to offer from Alaskan Floats as a wholesaler. So I know when I approach retail locations, when I approach buyers, I know what I want to hear as a buyer. I know what I need in terms of information as a buyer. So I think that's that's been a really big benefit to me over the past few years is saying, look, I'm, these are my products and I'm here to make your life easy. And I, I have a pretty good understanding of what that means just because <laughs> I know it makes my life easier as a retail store owner.
0: <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say the same thing when you, and I mean, you mentioned this too, just that you got kind of the opportunity to just kind of like test your products out a little bit in your store first. It's nice that, yeah, you could just have that storefront Mm -hmm. to be like, all right, I'm just going to test my products immediately, um, which is really awesome.
1: uh, Bazaars or like craft shows or, uh, you know, flea market type things here on the island I live on. So yeah, I really had the chance to, um, to get out and yeah, see what, at least the Alaska, the Southeast Alaska market wanted before I started mass producing in large quantities, you know, I I didn't really have to take that risk without knowing what people were buying beforehand, which is really helpful. Awesome.
0: So so you're an artist. When and you've been an artist for a long time, maybe your whole life. I don't even think I know and maybe when you first I don't know how you define when you first thought you were an artist but was art ever something that you like thought that you could make into a business was it something that you wanted to, to do for a living and it sounds like there's kind of a perception of artists that you can't make a living off of it could you touch on that I guess in your thoughts about it and then about artists and making money and then kind of that's a lot of questions but just take it as you will
1: <laughs> I would consider myself just like always an artist um well I and you, I mean, we have really amazingly creative women in our family. Um, My grandma on my dad's side, he and I have different dads, but um, on my dad's side was, uh, well, she is, well, was. She was a career artist. Um, She's retired. But um, yeah, she has been published. I mean, I would go to her house and spend the weekend or spend the night and stay up all night painting at her desk. Like, she really was one of the, like, pivotal artist figures in my life growing up. And then, um, as you know, our mom and then, um, our grandma, um, is, uh, yeah, they're both creative artists as well. So just having that influence kind of always, um, I don't know. I just always felt really artistic. And I guess I never really thought about pursuing it professionally because yeah, there just was this, I don't know, perception when I was growing up that you can't really make a career out of that. Nobody makes money as an artist. And so um, forward to when I moved to Alaska and I met uh, the woman who started Strictly Local. um, And I realized that I could spend the majority of my life creating art or jewelry or whatever I felt like creating as long as it was attached to business of some sort.
0: on that with Alaskan floats, what is your creative process like with like creating, do you create new stuff every year or how do you do that? Or how does that work? I try to
1: um, generate all of my content for the upcoming year during the summer or fall of current year. Um, And it's easier said than done. I mean, I, in addition to strictly local Alaskan floats, I actually run a rental property too, um, rent and co-own with my partner. So, I mean, I just have a lot of irons in the fire. And so I really try to set aside time in the summer and fall to generate my designs. And then um, in the fall is when I start. So that's when I start generating the artwork, creating the artwork. And then once I have my designs finalized, um, you know, it goes goes through a whole process of kind of designing the products and then ordering prototypes if I need to order prototypes. And um, it's just a very long, drawn out process.
0: I love that. Switching gears just a little bit. Are there any experiences in your life that have led you to entrepreneurship or prepared you for entrepreneurship, um, and yeah, onto the path that, that you're on today?
1: Questions you sent over in advance. Um, yeah. Kind of started hearing that question just by saying that mm-hmm. um, the word entrepreneur wasn't really thrown around when I was growing up. Like I, mm-hmm. I didn't hear about that growing up. Like you heard about business and maybe people were in business, but that sounded really stuffy and old and boring. So I never grew up Mm -hmm. thinking about being an entrepreneur or working for myself. Mm -hmm. That just wasn't on my radar. Um, and I think I just, I grew up in a very like traditional, uh, environment, um, between divorced families, but like, you know, parents worked nine, dads worked nine to five and then moms were stay at home. And, um, This was a pretty, I don't know, standard, normal upbringing, I think. And I think I just knew I always wanted a little more adventure in my life and a little more maybe autonomy. Um, And so, yeah, my early adulthood, like late teens through mid-20s, I had jobs and I had employers. And there was something in me that just always felt, like, stifled or like I was – there's something missing, and I was never fully happy. And I think – I would try to rationalize it by saying, well, nobody a hundred percent loves what they do all the time. And nobody a hundred percent loves like having a schedule when there are other things they want to do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I just tried to reason it away. Um, and um, so I think that kind of all set the groundwork for me really being ready to like jump off the deep end, so to speak, and just try other things because mm-hmm. I, had tried the normal things for a long time and just really wasn't finding any fulfillment in them. And so when I came to Alaska, kind of going back to how people in Alaska are just so, um, I don't know, creative and multifaceted. I think I was in an environment for the first time to really be like, what else do I have to lose? Like, you know, it, it's just such a different place here. And so I think I was just ready to fully give it a shot. Just, being on my own, coming up with my own ideas and, and going for it. So, yeah. But yeah. I never stood out to be an entrepreneur or anything it just kind of has happened organically and it makes sense. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, do you have any comments on that? Like narrative that, um, no one's ever really that happy. I that for me personally, I, I always like, I don't know, like there's so many like narratives like that. I think that we're like given to believe that, we can't do anything we set our minds to like there's all these narratives like, Oh, well, you know, you just do this career because you have to, and you know, you can't really do what you love because you can't make a living at it. Or people who do make a living at doing things that they really enjoy, um, you know, are a select few or, you know, I don't know. Do you have any comments on that?
1: I mean, first of all, I think it's a lame narrative. Like, I just think, I think it's just silly that, you know, mm-hmm. to some degree, it's ingrained in so many people to think that you are never going to be fully happy or fully pleased with where you are at in life. Um, to, I mean, going back to, you know, bringing things to a more personal level, I think life is all about perspective, you know, and it's like, if you are in a mindset of everything sucks, and I don't have what I want, and therefore I'm unhappy, and therefore I'm stuck, I mean, that's you're your own worst enemy in that case. And I don't mean to say that in a harsh way because I've been there, you know, and there have been times where maybe I, I couldn't get out of that mindset. So I don't, I don't ever want to come across insensitive by saying that because, you know, there definitely were times where I was stuck in that mindset of like, I'm not happy and there's nothing I can do about it. But I think seeing the other side and seeing how, how much energy it takes also to just stay in this place of like, this is where I want to be, you know, that also takes energy too. And, um, yeah, I just think the so- the societal narrative of you're just always going to be a little unhappy, I think that can change. And I think really that takes, on a larger scale, maybe starting as individuals, but like spreading that out to everyone we interact with, um, just this attitude of, support, this attitude of, I believe in you, I believe in me, this attitude of compassion and like, how can I help you with what's important to you? And maybe I need help with this and I can localize this. Um, I just think as a society, you know, we need to, we need to start acting with more kindness and like love towards each other as cliche as that sounds. Mm-hmm. And it all starts with us, you know, getting to a place yep. where we like, have compassion and love for ourselves is where it starts.
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah. And I mean, even you, I think like the, you know, things, you know, I'm 24. So I, you know, I obviously have not had the life experience to attest to this, but I can still say it seems like our society is changing in the right direction. Like, you know, when you were younger, entrepreneur, maybe wasn't even a word now it's a lot of people want to be entrepreneurs because our mm-hmm. society is more encouraging of going out and doing uh, your own thing and, you know, and taking those risks, you know, mm-hmm. for, you know, to start a business or to go after something you believe in or just to go after your dream, I guess, mm-hmm. essentially, rather than just staying in a nine to five job because that's what you're supposed to do.
1: Yeah. yeah. So. Well, and I think it's really yeah. important to recognize that everybody has different experiences and like comes from a different place Mm -hmm. and that adds value to what you share with the Mm -hmm. world or share with your circle, you know, and, um, I know you dropped your age for a second, just to kind of speak to your age, like by 24, I learned a lot of really hard life lessons, like Mm -hmm. (laughs) for fun right now, I'm going through all my old journals and like reading through like, you know, chronologically what was going on in my life. And I'm at about yeah, your age. Right. Like I, I'm at about when I was 23, and just some of the things I went through and like the ways I experienced them and how those lessons shaped me and continue to like uh, influence my overall life narrative were really huge. And I mm-hmm. think no matter your age, we all have unique experiences that help us um, that help color our world. You know?
0: Yeah. Okay. If you could create a life mission statement in a few words, I think actually you probably, have, you probably have thought about this. If you could create a life mission statement in a few words or a sentence, what would it say? Like Did if it could talk encapsulate.
1: The other day?
0: You talk, I think we, I asked you what your mantra for the year was. Yeah.
1: Oh, because I'm like, I think that, like I know the an answer immediately. Of? And normally I don't. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the thing that I've been that I've been holding with me like for the past couple years has been, um, surrender. What is the lesson? And, uh, I know it's not really a long mantra, but I, I try to remind myself of that always like, um, yeah. There are times where maybe I feel resistant, like if something's happening with work or in my personal life, that's stressing me out or I'm resisting and feeling really, you know, just heaviness about, um, I try to remind myself to surrender because like what's going to happen is going to happen. So just let it happen, process, deal with it. You know, you're going to adapt and move through it. And then what is the lesson? So, um, I think you asked me this in the questions you sent over, but like, what is, uh, like, what is the biggest thing you've learned in your life or something? I was like, whoa, that's a big question, but (laughs) I think, uh, I really thought about that one and I think, okay. Um, Yeah, I think one of the biggest things I've learned in life, um, if not the biggest thing I've learned in life is that there's a lesson in everything. And, um, you know, whether you have a negative experience or a positive experience, or I don't know, you meet a nice person, or you meet an awful person or whatever. um, I think Mm we we tend to attach like, good or bad to so many things. But the reality is, in hindsight, you look back, Uh and think, there was something in that for me and and i really mm-hmm. try to approach the world business personal life and everything um, from the lens of just what is happening and what is there to take from this so yeah yeah it's one of my biggest biggest things i've learned in life is that there's a lesson in everything
0: yeah i love that helps you kind of tackle maybe more difficult moments sometimes because you're just like you know what This is just how it is. And I'm learning something from it.
1: Or just like when when I'm going through a particularly trying time, trying to tell myself that it's okay to take time to like, I don't have to like Mm -hmm. freak out about how much this sucks right now. I can just literally lay still. I can just lay here and just exist for five minutes, calm down, process, and like move along. So I think, yeah, I try to remind myself of that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's a good reminder. Yeah. Yeah. That's helped me a lot. Like in recent, you know, in the recent year and just like not resisting certain situations that come up or even my own feelings, because sometimes, you know, I've gotten a lot better at this, but I used to like kind of, you know, whenever I'd have a, be in a bad mood or not feel very good or feel insecure, I'd be get really frustrated and I'd be like, why am I not feeling better? And I'd get really angry. So I'd have like this frustration about the frustration I'm feeling, (laughs) you know, instead of just being like, it's okay to like, feel this way. And it's okay. It's like, I'm not going to die if I have these sucky feelings, like they kind of suck, but I'm not going to die. And if you just like, if I just stop trying to like fight it, then it's like, okay, well, it's not the end of the world. (laughs) And then it kind of like, it, the situation maybe loses its power over you.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, I don't know if I shared this with you because you and I saw each other like a week ago when I was passing through Bend, which seems like a totally yeah. different lifetime already. And I miss you already. But um, I can't remember if I shared this with you. I'll say it for your listeners. But my friend told me recently, my um, best friends, that emotions don't mean anything. That they come and they go. After they go, after they leave you, the truth is still the truth. Reality is still the reality. So, like when you have these big emotions, try to remember: like this is temporary. I don't, I don't have to make a decision right now. Like I'm just gonna let this happen. I'm gonna really like my my mantra is to surrender. Just surrender to what's happening. Feel what I feel. It's gonna be okay. And then reality is still gonna be reality when they go away. So I, I like to yeah. try to remember that too, that like, if I'm having a bad moment or feeling yeah. anxious about anything, it's like, you know what, it's going to be fine. You're just going to feel this. You're not going to not feel it no matter how much you don't want to. So just
0: yeah
1: wave and it's going to end. Feel it.
0: <laughs> yep. Yeah, Absolutely. Is there anything else you want to say? I have one more question after this one, but is there anything else that you wanted to say about Alaskan floats or about your journey or, oh, or maybe advice for anyone who is interested in entrepreneurship, um, but maybe is a little afraid. um,
1: Don't be, don't be afraid of having big dreams. I mean, I've talked to a lot of people who won't even dream big because they're, they -hmm. don't believe it will happen, but I can tell you that firsthand for myself, for so many people in my life, that if you really set your goals high, if you set high ambitions for yourself, you're going to start working towards them. It might not happen tomorrow. It might happen in six months. It might not even happen in three years. But it's like, if you have something that you want for your life, you owe it to yourself to just keep that on your horizon and keep working towards it. And so, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, don't be afraid to set goals for yourself. Um, it's okay if they change. Mm-hmm. Like, fear of yeah. failure is scary, but try to get that out of your head. It's not failure. Like, you might do yeah. it, you might have a reverse plan, things might go a different direction. That's okay. You learn as you grow. And um, so, that's, I guess, my second little tidbit. Finally, I would say, um, yeah, don't be afraid to talk about it. Because the more you talk about it, the more you'll find the people mm-hmm. in your life that support you, that uplift yes. you, that give yep. you confidence, that tell you they believe in you. And the more of that you have around mm-hmm. you, the more successful you're going to be, you know, the more you're going to believe in yourself. Yes. And so don't be afraid to tell everybody who, who you want to be and what you want to do yeah. with your life. Because the right people. Should
0: oh, I love you. that. <laughs> yeah. I love that because I feel like a lot of people, some people don't, a lot of people don't want to talk about their dreams until they're accomplished or until they already are doing them because they're like, either you don't want to self-promote and like, sound like, you know, too, I don't know, like too, not narcissistic, but I think people are just afraid of talking about themselves, especially when something hasn't happened yet. But yeah, but I mean, like, that's, it's so powerful just to tell people like, this is my dream and like, I'm working towards it. And then opportunities might present themselves to you um, in so many ways like I am I'm winding into videography and I have just told a bunch of people and now like one of these companies I'm interning with to do business work um, I'm now going to do start learning some more video production with them and stuff and then and then I just put it on my LinkedIn profile it's like I'm a videographer (laughs) even though I'm just beginning but like I make videos I'm a videographer and part of me was like oh man maybe I shouldn't say that because I'm not really yet but like I am because I believe I am, and I am going to be a videographer because I'm working towards it every day. <laughs> so, anyway, I just think that's that's really important, and I think yeah, it can be I scary. Think that's a
1: perfect example, and actually, just to kind of build on that a little bit, one of my favorite examples of this of like creating the life you want, um, I heard years ago, um, it was something like, if you maybe let's say you are a waiter at a restaurant full time, and then maybe. Occasionally on the weekends, you take a photography gig, but what you really want is mm-hmm. to be a photographer. When you meet people, and mm-hmm. you say I'm a waiter, but you know, I, I'm a photographer on the side, they're gonna see you as a waiter, you know, they're yeah, you know, if you yep. present yourself as this is what I do, that's what people think you do. Whereas, mm-hmm. if mm-hmm. being a waiter is just your means to an end, that's how you pay your bills while you're working on becoming a photographer. When you meet people and tell people, I am a photographer. People will think to call you for that, whereas they won't know to do that if yeah. you don't tell them that's what you do. So that was one of the best pieces totally. of advice I have mm-hmm. heard anywhere, is, you, is go out into the world and present yourself as you want to be seen, because nobody's going to mm-hmm. see you the way you want to be seen unless you're the one advocating for yourself. So
0: yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that. People, people see you the way you see yourself, definitely. I think. So And then last question, how can people find your products and learn more about Alaskan Floats and Strictly Local Gallery?
1: Oh, uh, what a good question. Um, So for Alaskan Floats, we are on Instagram and Facebook, Alaskan Floats, um, and our website is alaskanfloats.com. It's all pretty easy. Um, And we do have online ordering. You can contact us. It's pretty straightforward. And then Strictly Local, same thing. Um, Instagram, Facebook, and online. And it's Strictly Local Gallery. So, yeah. Reach out, say hi, ask questions. cool stuff.
0: That's all for this episode, Ben Beeves. Thank you for joining us. And we'll see you next time on the Career Lift Podcast.